Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of The Darius Show. As always, my name is Darius Cook, and I will be your host. If you're new around here, here's how we do things. I watch a show or a movie. I talk about that show or movie. You listen and you enjoy. For today, we're going to be doing a full-down breakdown discussion, recap, all that good stuff on Disney's Encanto. This just hit Disney Plus uh, about a week ago, and I just saw it for the very first time, and I had a really fun time watching it. I'm actually a really big fan of Disney and Pixar movies in general. I always make sure to catch the newest one. So yeah, without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into it, guys. Roll the intro. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. All right, so Disney's Encanto. This follows a character named Mirabelle, who's a part of a magical family referred to as the Madrigals. And the history behind this family uh, goes back to humble beginnings of a mother and husband with three small children that were refugees that were making it out of a a tough war. I th- I believe this war is implied to be the a thousand the thousand year world war and it's like a historical war. I'm not quite sure where it lands in terms of history and all that good stuff. However, the father makes a a dutiful sacrifice as he stays behind in arms so that his family can move on as refugees starting a new life. And Without much kind of explanation, this this sacrifice ends up leading towards a magical flower that builds a home for this family and kind of provides for them powers. The logic of this isn't quite clear to me, but it's definitely implied that through the father's sacrifice, this flower kind of has the spirit of that sacrifice, and that's what gifts this family with their powers and abilities. I, I know that's kind of weird, but that's about as much of an explanation that the movie gives us. <laughs> the vague nature of that overall explanation, in a big way, kind of sums up how I feel about this movie in general. It's a lot of fun. The animation's absolutely on point, and the music hits just like any other Disney movie does. That being said, the logic of the movie fails in a way that most Disney movies don't. Now, listen, we're talking about a kid's movie here. It's an animated kid's movie that it's supposed to provide lessons, right? That's really what this is for. So it's not as important that this fantasy world that they create, it's not so important that the continuity and logistics of everything matches up. That being said, the tone, the standard that Disney has set for Disney Disney movies, Pixar movies, whatever, is that it does kind of line up. And at least generally speaking, there's a lot more commitment to detail in their movies. I'm noticing more of a trend lately to kind of throwing that out the window in service of just telling a story, you know? And it's not that the story that we get here isn't charming and isn't a beautiful one. It just does kind of have a few narrative holes. If I were to compare it to anything, it would be Luca. Luca has a similar vibe where it's a charming story. I love the characters and the world, the music, all of that hits in big ways. But there's just these kind of different plot holes that leave me wanting a little bit more out of a great Disney movie. But yeah, as mentioned before, this magical flower provides a beautiful and magical home for the people. The The home actually has a sentience in, of, in and of itself. They refer to it as casita. What's also interesting is there's a weird relationship and divide between the house and the flower. 
So it's like the flower has given birth to this magical house. However, the house has its own sentience separate to the flower, and the house operates as its own character, its own member of the family in this film. It's an interesting line, but the house, you know, it it can move on its own. It's kind of like Monster House, and it and it interacts with our characters. We see Mirabelle, our main character, interact with the house throughout the entire film. So it's just an interesting dynamic. And the other thing that happens from this flower is each member on their fifth birthday actually receives a gift from the house. And these gifts manifest in different powers. We have Cousin Dolores, who can hear things like, I guess, like a mile away. She has supersonic hearing. Um, we also have, we <laughs> we get Isabel, Isabella. She is the beauty of the family. She's Mrs. Perfect, and she has the ability to grow flowers, cactuses, whatever you whatever you want to call it, plant life around her. She's basically poison ivy. Uh, and then we get our Mr. Incredible of the family, which is in the form of the third sister, Louisa. And she has strength, uh, just super strength, essentially. She can lift anything and get anything out of the way. So our three sisters of our main unit family, let's say, is Mirabelle, our main character, who does not receive a gift. She is the outlier in her family who doesn't receive a gift at all. Her sister, Louisa, the strength that I just talked about, and her other sister, Isabella, Mrs. Perfect Poison Ivy. Now, we have other members of the family. We have her cousin who can shapeshift and make himself look like whatever he wants. And, and we can't forget about our mom character who has the ability to heal people through her cooking. Very interesting ability there. And, of course, we can't forget about our third Tia who she can control weather with her emotions. Whatever she's feeling, it'll manifest in the form of some weather around her. Certainly interesting gifts that everybody receives. And this family is committed to serving their community with these gifts and bringing joy and thriving to their community overall. They certainly become a staple in their community and their community kind of works around this family. Of course, there is one more character in this family, I guess two more, but the biggest one is Bruno, who at this point we don't talk about. Of course, if you've even heard of this movie, you've heard the phrase, we don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. Uh, he is one of the characters that makes a bigger impact, and we'll get into him as he comes up. But the grandma is the last character who I haven't really talked about here. Uh, she is the closest thing to a villain that we have in this movie. This movie uniquely has like no villain really character. There's just circumstances. It's just about the misinterpretations that are happening within this family. Uh, this is a story about healing of family dynamics and... Uh, just working on that path. And again, she serves as the closest thing to a villain, but really she isn't one. What's also interesting is she's the only other member that doesn't have powers, like Mirabelle, although she's the oldest member of the family. She was there before powers were being given out. I think that there is, between those two characters, a mirroring happening. You know, uh, the grandma is the one who held this family together and is the leader of this family to begin with, but it's Mirabelle who is able to find healing for this family and kind of set them on the right path moving forward. Early on, we see dialogue from multiple members of the family, especially Issa and the grandma, implying that Mirabelle is kind of getting in the way. And they're telling her she just needs to get out of the way so everybody else can just do their thing and help with their gifts. And that plus a little bit of else other dialogue that we get really tells to me that at least with the character that we start off this movie with, I don't think that Mirabelle is coming into this with, in a bad place or a bad state of mind. She seems like 
she seems like she's worked through the fact that she's the only one without a gift and she's kind of able to be mature about that and know that she does have value outside of that. But it's the people in her family that don't give her enough credit. And I just think that's an interesting perspective coming into this movie for our main character, at least at the very beginning. I think that she's not the one who needs to grow the most. It's the people around her that do. So the big thing that's happening in this first arc is her baby cousin is now turning five. And so it's his turn to receive a gift. Of course, everyone's a little nervous because Mirabelle was the last one before him who was supposed to receive one and she didn't get it. So for everyone, this is going to be kind of a test to see, do we just not get gifts anymore or will he get one and only Mirabelle is the outlier? Of course, that's the fear. That does end up becoming true. Um, He ends up getting an awesome gift, which is to speak and interact with animals, uh, a super sick gift. And he kind of, it's seeing all the how much fun he has discovering his new gift and everything is a little bit of insult to injury to Mirabella. She has to kind of quietly support him and see how she wasn't able to get any of this. The relationship between her baby cousin and Mirabelle is a very strong one. It's actually revealed that up to this point, they've had to share a room in this series, or excuse me, in this universe, you get a room along with your powers. And since Mirabelle didn't receive any power, she also doesn't have a special room. Another bit of interesting piece of the magic that exists in this house is that uh, your room reflects your powers and it's kind of like, what's it similar to? Basically, you it's like the, the, it's the TARDIS from Doctor Who. You walk in and you have a whole world inside. The, the rooms are not limited to what would be inside of a house. Basically, you get transported to a whole new world uh, that reflects you and your own abilities. Very cool concept and... Honestly, the fact that Mirabelle doesn't get a room by the end of this movie, she's so robbed. I get it that she doesn't need necessarily a gift because she quote-unquote maybe has gifts already. However, I think that it's totally lame that she doesn't get a super awesome room to spend time with in. Does she still just live in the nursery by herself? Like, that's pretty whack for her. At this point, we start to see cracks starting to happen around the house. Mirabelle is the first one who notices these cracks. And that's very concerning to her. We end up overhearing from the grandma that something's wrong and she's not quite sure what. And so Mirabelle starts kind of trying to figure out what's going on. She's launching her own investigation, so to speak. This journey to figure out what's going on sends Mirabelle, for this whole second half of the movie, she's basically checking in with different family members to try to figure out what's going on. And what we're doing through that is getting an idea of what each character's motivations are, what are their struggles, what are they dealing with, and what is their place and their relationship overall in their family. Our first stop is with Louisa, the strength of the family. Um, she uh, She's amazing. <laughs> I She's probably my favorite member of the family. Uh, she gets an awesome song where she's displaying the pressure that she feels, that she needs to be strong enough to take care of everything and that she can't falter. Uh, she feels this pressure from her family and from her grandma because of what her ability is. And we get to explore this in a beautiful song from her that's a blend of genres of like rap, pop, and like a, uh, a ballad. It's very interesting. This is the same creator, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, and you see that musical influence that he has in all of the songs that he makes. And you see it just blended perfectly here to get her state of mind. Uh, she kind of reminds me of Maui in an interesting way. Um, but yeah, that's besides the point. She delivers what I think is actually my favorite song of the movie. I know it's kind of one of the first ones we see, but I like it a lot. 
Information she gets in this interaction lets her know that she needs to investigate Bruno, a mysterious member who she has met in the past, but she didn't get to really spend time getting to know. A lot of the other characters have more history with this character. And once she asks everyone about it, that's what leads to the We Don't Talk About Bruno song, certainly the most iconic and catchy song that the movie has to offer. Uh, It's the one that I can remember most just at any point when I think about the music of this movie. But uh, basically through this, we learn that he has an ability to see the future. And what's unclear to the family members is, is he predicting the future or is he somehow causing it? Everyone has misinterpreted his predictions and they assumed that because he made the predictions, those unfortunate events happened to them. Now, of course, this is a misinterpretation, and it's a little bit sad that this leads to outcasting one of their main members of his of their family. They completely shun him because of all of the these events, and that's why he's been MIA. MIA, of course, until Mirabelle finds him hiding in the walls. And this leads to a very heartbreaking discovery. Now, each Disney movie always has that moment, right? That moment that really pulls in your heartstrings, that really just tries to make you cry. And that's when we realize that Bruno has been in these walls for like a decade. He loves his family so much that even though they fully rejected him, he couldn't bear to be away from them. And he's been living in the walls. You, We even see that he's on the other side of the dining room where all the family meets to do their dinners and have meetings and whatnot. And he even made himself a little a little spot because everybody has their own spot with their name at the house. And it's very sad to see that he's just been kind of living in the walls. I don't know. This is a sad reveal, and it definitely works for that emotional gut punch moment. But come on, guys. This guy was living in the walls for 10 years. This is straight up psychotic. I mean, it, like, it, th- again, this just goes back into another critique I kind of have for the movie. Again, this is a kid's movie. But when you look at the context of things, this guy was outcasted by his family for blatant misunderstandings and then he just hides in the walls because he wants to be close to them for 10 years where he only interacts with rats and then once he's you know they they end up accepting him back in so easily and it's like nothing even happened it's just a little bit ridiculous i guess i'll just stop trying to pay too much attention to the finer details and just accept the story for what it is because at the end of the day that's clearly not what the objective of the writing team of this movie was, was to turn in like a clean cut story. It was to deliver a strong narrative and morals, I suppose. So I'll move on for that from that for now. As we explore Bruno's character, we get to have a new premonition with him. And this time he's trying to see what's what's happening with this cracking of the house. And at this point, we learn that it can go either way. Either Maribel is going to be the reason why everything comes apart or she's going to be the reason why everything comes back together. She is the key to kind of fixing everything here. And this gives our motivation moving forward. As part of the dream implies, he, she has to go make up with her sister Isabel. Um, it's clear that these two sisters have a lot of tension between the two of them. A lot of jealousy and rivalry, let's say. So this is when we get to check in with her character. And we go to her room and get to explore what that's like. Flowers everywhere. And... As we get a musical number with her, we something that this movie does in general is explore all of these characters' psyche and struggles through their musical numbers. This is where they're able to be vulnerable and display their their desires and the things that stress them out. Oh, we find out that Isabel also feels the same kind of pressure that Mirabelle and Louisa feel and that she has to be perfect and everyone expects that of her in the community and her family. And she doesn't even want to marry the person that everyone expects her to, 
but she's just going to swallow her pride and do it anyways for her family. Each of these characters are sacrificing their own happiness for the expectation that they feel their family has for them, and that's what they all have to overcome in this movie. After divulging her feelings to Maribel, they're finally able to come together and find common ground for seemingly the first time in this story. Um, Of course, that doesn't solve all their problems yet. In fact, at this point, she starts to lose her powers, and we see a lot of these other characters losing their gifts because of what we're not quite sure yet. Of course, that gets revealed just a little later. Of course, things do progress and get even worse, and once they do... Uh, basically the house starts falling apart and everyone is losing their gifts. In the heat of action, the only person who actually is able to take action here is Mirabelle, and that's because everyone else isn't used to operating without their gifts. It's a very interesting message that they try to deliver here that uh, that Mirabelle's gift is not having a gift in a weird way, that because she doesn't have a gift, she finds other ways to thrive and find her confidence and ability to work within this world. She steps up in this moment. That being said, it leads to a very dramatic interaction between her and her grandma in front of the entire family. Grandma is blaming Mirabelle. She doesn't know how or exactly why, but she's certain that Mirabelle is the reason why everything is falling apart right now. Of course, Mirabelle being our brave and bold protagonist sees through that and she's actually, she hits the Uno reverse card on grandma and says, no grandma, you're the reason. Like, you're the one who's causing these these unattainable expectations on everyone and it's what's what's crumbling this family apart and bringing the house down so it's interesting it's interesting to see how they how they kind of pit those two battle wills against each other again earlier on i mentioned that that these characters mirror each other's in a lot of way in a lot of ways grandma being the old generation mirabelle being the new one looking forward and both of them being the two members of the family without any gifts This leads to a somber scene when the grandma catches up to Mirabelle in the forest and they have a heart to heart and we get a flashback to how everything started. You get more context to that refugee situation at the very beginning when the grandma had to start a brand new life all on her own and how the the flower really came in clutch as a as a representation of their father's love and sacrifice and moving them forward as well. The song that we get at this scene underscores how the grandma and her husband fell in love to begin with and underscores the tragedy that happens. And in my, this is definitely the most emotional song that gets delivered. Uh, it certainly has the strongest impact because it comes in at the kind of dramatic climax of this of the story. Of course, this leads to the mending of their relationship and grandma for the first time realizes that she has been putting too much pressure and this comes when she confronts Bruno again. Um, I do feel like the way that the grandma turns around happens a little quickly and just all at once. Um, I feel like that they could have earned that reveal and twist a little bit better. Everything, it's like Bruno just comes around, everyone's sad and then all of a sudden the grandma just understands, you know? The way that that we take that turn just felt a little bit unearned. And again, you haven't seen this guy for 10 years. He's been living in the fucking walls because he loves you so much. And they, you know, they do quick apology and hugs and it's like everything's all back to normal. It gets cleaned up a little too quickly in my opinion, but the at the heart of what the story is telling us is a heartful tale. And I do appreciate that they are at the very least able to deliver on that emotion still. It's at this point that we're treated to the best visual that the movie has to offer at all. Uh, we get a zoom out and we get to see the 
the forest around them coming into full view, butterflies out in the distance and all the different colors. And we're reminded the big value of Disney movies and that the animation is always on fleek. It is just always popping off. You see it in this movie a lot in the detail of the hair, of the water around in the forest and the vibrant colors around. It, it displays Mexico in such a fun and vibrant way. Excuse me, not Mexico. Oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. Colombia in such a vibrant way. And it has so much energy to it visually. Now, the aftermath of everything, it seems at first like the family no longer has their gifts. Even though they've more or less reconciled, the house has still fallen to pieces. And they, at this moment, don't have any gifts anymore. Now, what happens as an outcome to this, it was a really touching note, is the community shows up in spades to help them rebuild, keeping in mind that this family has been the centerfold of helping this community uh, thrive throughout this whole time. Uh, it's nice to see them return the favor and have their back. There is a strong message of community that I wish they fleshed out a little bit more, uh, kind of what that relationship is with the community. They talk about it, but they don't show it so much. Um, and they help them rebuild. Uh, beautiful note, you get a nice little montage of them becoming closer and rebuilding as a family. And in the very last moment, um, we see that the the magic comes back to the house and everyone's rooms are restored, all the gifts are restored. And this was the one moment where Maribel could have either received a gift or at the very least a room. And it feels like, I don't, I don't feel like I understand fully why Mirabel didn't get a gift. Um, the implication in my mind is that she's al she already has a gift of empathy or something like that, or a strong moral compass, and that's the reason that she doesn't receive one. But I'm not convinced. I don't think that the series, that the movie, presents any attributes that Mirabelle possesses over anyone else really that strongly give me a reason why she wouldn't have received one. All the other family members are all really great as well. I mean, Louisa has a strong moral compass and can empathize. They all have this ability. So I don't see why, I don't feel like the movie gave enough of a reason of what gift does Mirabelle possess that's so strong that she doesn't receive one from the house. And overall, it just kind of excludes her. Again, it's another nitpicky thing, but narrative-wise, I don't feel like they communicated that strongly enough to the audience. That being said, there is still so much to love about this movie. I enjoyed spending the time in this world, and I enjoyed all the various family members so much. I didn't really talk about them too much because a, a lot of them don't get very much to do. We see them for very quick moments, like the cousin. I can't remember his name right now, but he's the ship, the shapeshifter. He's so much fun, and watching him transform to these different characters moment to moment has so much energy to it, and animation-wise provides so much there. But we, we never really get to dive into who this character is and what his struggles are. There's so many family members that they kind of fail to, to give you much personality from any of them. They're all just relegated to their small little quirks that are usually related to their gifts. And so, I, I don't know, maybe this movie could have had a longer run to really flesh out these characters. I'm not sure what it is, but it's just missing a little bit there. That being said, the character designs are out of this world. And I, what I really appreciate is how clear you could see the different factions of the family. And when I say factions, I mean the different households. We have the grandma and her three children, and then two of those children each have three children each. <laughs> you know, it gets complicated, but we see the diversity within the different sects of the family because obviously they've introduced new members to have babies and everything. It's very clear to see which parts of the family, even in their colors, styles, and colorization, um, 
it's clear where the different parts of the families are coming from. And I appreciated that. And just showing a mixed bag family, you know, some people are pale, some are a little bit darker and some are really darker, with different hairstyles and everything. It was nice to see a beautiful blend of a diverse family that reminds me of my own, honestly. The music wasn't my favorite. I've, I definitely feel, you know, when I watch Disney movies, there's songs that immediately stick with you. Uh, ones that come to mind are Maui's Hey, What Can I Say Except Your Welcome song in Moana or let's say Frozen Let It Go. There's songs that the first time I hear it, it's interesting. It's instantly catchy and it instantly sticks with me forever. Like I remember walking out of Frozen for the first time and I was already singing the Let It Go song. Like that's hearing it once. It was stuck in my head. And the closest thing to that that this movie delivers is definitely Silencio Bruno, but it doesn't reach the same heights that a lot of Disney soundtracks do. Um, a lot of the songs were really good. I don't think they were bad. I just don't think that it's as good as Disney has shown itself to be in the past. And that might be the way I feel overall about this movie. If it was a different studio that released this movie, I don't know if I would, if I would judge it as harshly because I feel like Disney has set the standard that anytime they don't reach that same standard, it feels just a little disappointing. I don't know. I might be being nitpicky, but overall... Uh, I definitely will remember this one, and I might even give it a rewatch at some point. But as far as Disney movies go, it's one of the weaker ones I've seen. But yeah, that's just about going to bring our review to a close. I certainly hope to see more diverse storytelling from uh, Disney and Pixar. It seems to be the trend for them. They, they're just going you know, country by country and just uh, telling a very uh, diverse amount of stories, which I, I do really appreciate it, and I'm excited to see what they do next. But yeah, Encanto, what did you think? How do What do you guys think about my feedback? Uh, did I miss something? Was I, I'm sure I didn't cover something that you wanted me to. So any feedback, I'd be really appreciate it. My email is vdshowpod at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-D-A-S-H-O-W-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can hit me up on TikTok and Instagram at The Darius Show. You'll find me on both of those platforms doing that. But yeah, let me know what you guys think. I'd appreciate a follow on Spotify and maybe send this to somebody who enjoyed this movie and wants to hear me give a little chat about it. But yeah, thank you for listening as always. And oh, wait, before you guys go, I have to mention something. Luca, I've, I've made a lot of comparisons to Luca, right? Uh, very similar storytelling, very similar quality overall. We don't talk about Bruno and Silencio Bruno. Coincidence? I don't think so. I don't know how, but there's something there, and it's related in some way, shape, or form. I'm going to let you guys figure that one out. But that's it for me today. Thank you for giving this a listen. My name is Darius, and I love you.